people, the place, and the passion are what distinguish the Virginia wine and culinary community from others. It's my hope that through this podcast, we're able to share a little bit about each of these with you. They're a collection of stories from the people and places that inspire us, challenge us, and encourage us to be great. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to episode eight, part two of the Seller Sessions podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kimball. And once again, we are joined by Taylor Dameron of Upper Shirley Vineyards. We hope you enjoy this continuation of the episode that we recorded last week. Cheers. One of the things I do want to come back to, and it's not just because I, I poured it out, is, is to not. And it's not just because you have the coolest license plate <laughs> in, all, right. in all the land here in Virginia. Uh, what's your license plate? It says Tanat. It says yeah, Tanat. Yeah, right? I just wanted yeah, to use it. Yeah. It's re- it really is Tanat. And you mentioned before how so Zachari- any, any <laughs> listeners out there, if I steal your parking space at the mall, <laughs> you know, just bang on my window and go, dude, dude, I know who you are. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah, give, it, with that give it up. Right? And if I'm like trying to like play dumb, like, oh, was that your space? Really? Oh, sorry. My bad. Okay. That's funny. You know, it's funny. I'm wondering how much, like, I'm just thinking about it now, like the value of you having a license plate that is Tanat. Because we all know it. When we pull up behind somebody... You try to read what their license plate says, and like some of them are really ambiguous. And you know, I'm wondering how many people pull it behind you and, and Google to not. Right. That's. I bet that's really benefit. It's benefiting the industry. I mean, you should get that like paid for by somebody else. <laughs> anyway, um, but to not, you mentioned Zachariah. I believe you said that Zachariah sort of started out as a Bordeaux, a traditional Bordeaux style. Blend. Yeah, the, the first vintage yeah. did not have any to not in it, and so we, um, and that was 2013, and then 2014. Um, Michael said this thing, you know, we need to, it's got a few things that it's lacking that Tanat will, uh, will, will bring it where it needs to be. And, and that is, um, some, some bigger fruit on the mid palate and, and, and some more tannins. Absolutely. Um, and color and color and just, you know, it's, it's, it's going to stiffen this guy up and yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so, you know, he was like, what do you think? I mean, it's no longer going to compete in the. Um, heritage category, and and I'm I'm like I, you know make the best wine you can, I, and we'll we'll figure out what to call it later. I think there are two things that you just mentioned that I want to talk about. I'm trying to remember all this stuff. I don't even have a pen. I'm such a millennial. Yeah. I have a pen. Right. I do it, put everything into my phone. I'm going to take mental note. But we went through something similar with Adagio. Adagio is our uh, premium uh, signature Bordeaux Bordeaux style blend. We've talked about it on previous episodes. Um, the 2010 vintage won the Governor's Cup in 2014. It is uh, the wine that when people come in and say, "I just if I can only taste one wine, what's that one wine that really embodies your winemaking philosophy and everything you do here? Forever, I mean forever, since 2006. Uh, we don't make it every year. But when in 2006, up until the 2013 vintage, it had always been a Bordeaux-style blend. And then we added in, sorry, the 2015, and we added in Tanat. Right. And so then t- this wine that we were always like, this is our signature Bordeaux style blend. Now it just became, this is our signature blend. Sure. Because what Tanat does to a blend that is comprised of the traditional Bordeaux varietals is remarkable. And there's other wineries out there that are doing it. But even this year, this year being, we blended the 2017. We were going down this path and we had this opportunity to make the Adagio with Tanat, which we did. And then we had even more Tanat that we were going to do like this limited edition Tanat. And we were like, man, the Tanat is so good that we just, we, we passed on the opportunity to make a small batch Tanat 
and added that back into the adagio. So the adagio has a lot of tana in it right. now. It's sort of like from where it was in 06 to where it is now, it's like tana is like one of the stars. Yep. Yep. And we're drinking a varietal tana. Michael Shaps is a big tana fan. Yep. Let's let's spend some time talking about why your license plate says tana. <laughs> well, you know, like I said, it, it, it really says everything that it says the best things about Virginia as a wine region. Um, it, it also alerts people that, Hey, you never heard of this grape? Well, it's not rare, but it's definitely lesser known. And, and it's a grape you should know. And the luxury we have as a growing region, if you can find some weird, you know, Armenian variety, grow it. Cause you know what, that we don't have any rules here. Um, if you can grow it and make a great wine, you know, it's, it's all yours. And I think that's where Tanat is. I mean, it's, it's, it got us away from the old baggage. Um, it's making a beautiful wine. Uh, there are a lot of folks that are starting to grow it. There's a lot of plantings here, and uh, and I'm all for it. And and you know one of the things that the Virginia Wine Board did uh, most recently is they uh, dropped Viognier as the official grape of the state of Virginia. And why did they do that? Because they're trying to learn from the West Coast experience of regions that are only known for Pinot. Um, you know, there's some world-class Chardonnays grown in Washington state and the consumer passes them by in the grocery store. Cause that's not what they're known for. And, you know, that experience is very ins- well, instructive to, to Virginians because do we want to make a lot of progress quickly being known as, as a Viognier site, or do we just want to keep the board clear and, and, and let us grow and evolve and not get painted in a corner? Um, I'm all for it. If, if you know, I don't. I don't think we need a, a, a state grape. Um, it, it, it should be probably Petit Verdot if it were one. Right. But uh, you know, I, I don't think we want. We're wide open. I mean, the other wine regions in the world have had you know two thousand years to figure it out. Yeah, it's that's one of the most exciting things about this industry is that it's still so young and we're figuring it out. And it's a delicious experiment that a lot of people get to benefit from because we're still trying new things. Um, so. I agree with you that I think taking away Viognier as the signature or the state grape for a lot of reasons. I mean, one, it's hard to say. Well, I mean, the, well, the, well, the first, the first reason to, to from to, a marketing perspective, the, the first reason to yeah. shit can Viognier yeah. is is uh, whoever made that the state grape in 2011 doesn't own a telephone. Because they didn't call anyone who tries to grow that shit. Yeah, okay? it's, like, it's I, like every other year. Oh my, oh, my God. Yeah. I got, you know, got 4,500 vines in the ground, and you walk by them, and they're pale yellow, and they're, they're, they're doing that. You know the damsel in distress where she's got the back of her hand on her forehead, and they're just like you know, weeping on a, on a recamier or something? You know, that's, that's Viognier. It's just like, oh, my Viognier God. Viognier is the face palm emoji. Yes. Yeah, that's yes, what it is. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, though. Like, I say that. <laughs> You make Viognier, yeah, right. Yeah, and we make and it's a, we make damn a good. good. One. We make a good it's one. It's a but, damn good Viognier. It's just, we make. Let's see, two, sometimes three. Yeah, we make an estate-grown version and then a Virginia Appalachian version, stainless steel versus um, a neutral oak and concrete. It's. It, I don't think it should be just because it's really good here. Doesn't mean it should be the state grape. Well, I mean, and I also I just feel like I always have to do this. I I like Viognier, Matthew. If you were sitting here, Matthew, our winemaker, he loves Viognier. But man, it's a, so hard to grow. Yeah. Hard to say. And, I mean, how and, many different pronunciations of Viognier have you got? Oh, we, uh, uh, the Voigner. Yeah. Viognier, hey, Viognier, we want some Voigner. Yeah. Wagner. Um, yeah. And well, here's the thing, too. 
is most vitis vinifera that you know we're talking about here you should be getting four tons per acre uh the best you're going to get on a viognier is you know two tons 2.2 you know it's just a low yielding grape and and everyone here in the state charges as much as anybody in the free world for viognier it's not a $50 wine. It's just not going to be a $50 wine ever. You're not going to make it up in price. You're not going to make it up in volume. And is it a beautiful aromatic? Yes. A big peach and pear and honeysuckle. It's a, you know, it's a really pretty wine, but it's just not, it's not what we need to hitch our wagon to. Yeah. On the flip side to not, you know, as, as you know, and this also, I believe applies to, I speak on behalf of, I'm a marketer. I am not yeah. a viticulturist. So you know, no disrespect. I'm speaking really uninformed on this, but uh, it seems as if petite man saying loose cluster, mm-hmm. thick skin yep. can thrive as much as a grape can thrive in Virginia. Yep. Tanat also seems pretty well suited for the climate. And the one thing about both of those grapes, they're not really well known in other regions. Yeah. And, especially and, here in the United and, States. And, and so. Yeah, and, and and stylistically, stylistically. too, you know, it, it is the uh, uh, it is the national grape of Paraguay. It is, um, yep, and a uh, lot of great tanats from Uruguay and yep. Um, yep. I, I, I'm sorry, I just misspoke. I meant yeah. Uruguay, not yep. Paraguay. Yep. Um, but you know, if you go pull some of those, right, not all of them are these big, fully extracted wines the way the French do it and the way we do it. Um, some of them are lighter bodied and 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 very different. Um, I, I will say my my experience in the vineyard is that that these to not it puts up with our humid humidity uh, and our fungus and our bugs and all that stuff it's just you got to get it through the winter i mean yeah the, the, that's the, it yep. the, the it loves our hot summers it hates our cold winters the mortality of these vines um most vitis vinifera is cold hardy down to call it minus six minus seven uh maybe even minus eight um not to not I mean these 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 things will they'll they'll die on you at uh, if they're not properly acclimated at some fairly benign temperatures and you know we've had to do a fair amount of replanting and 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 we'll continue I mean I I'm I'm committed to this grape and as are uh, we we don't grow it here but we were at one point considering it and the vines were I wouldn't say readily available but they were there now tough grape to get yeah well and that's and that's why i'm not growing petit man saying uh, uh, uh that, we, yep. we couldn't we we couldn't find the stock at the nurseries yep um there was like a, a two or three year wait and i needed uh i needed to get some vines in the ground so, um yeah but you know i mean and, and, and you know listen back back in it was it uh september i think uh wine enthusiasts wrote an article about uh virginia wine which remarkable that they know we make wine here which is very nice and they thanks they, Carrie Dykes yes and they and and they spoke about uh, you know uh, Petit Mansang and Petit Verdot being really um, the future of Virginia wine in the sense that you know these these are not well known and Virginia is making super high quality wine out of them and and I think I think if we're going to distinguish ourselves in the wine world um, you know you have to demonstrate that you can do something at a high level and I, and I think both those grapes and 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 Tanat I think Tanat if if you had a there's a th- that grape has big legs and I think it's going to take us places absolutely and this is the this is a shameless plug might be my first one ever on the did you ever on the history of the show did you recognize somebody's name in that article I was quoted in that oh one. were you Thanks quoted in that? that oh my yeah. god yeah, oh my god oh my god it's okay I'll let you pass so winemakers in Oregon you talked about how they're like yeah you know we do grow Chardonnay or we, you know even Gamay 
but they're known for Pinot. Is that really a problem? I'm yes. Not, I, is it? Yes. Okay. Yes, because because what you find is that consumers, you know, we're we're talking inside baseball. We're all about this and that and wine, this and that. You got to put yourself in the shoes of a consumer that walks into Kroger and there are 1,500 bottles of wine staring at them, or they walk in a wine store and and they they breeze by, you know, a uh, a Chateau Margaux that costs 250 bucks, and then and then you know all the all the color drains from their face. You know, we're in the biz, but but you know you people are put on their heels by wine. It's complex. It's expensive. Um, you know. People are insecure uh, about their why. I mean, look look what uh, look what happened to Merlot with with uh, fifteen, sixteen years ago now, two thousand and four. Sideways. sideways. I don't want you know? any more effing Merlot. Changed the entire future it, of it, Merlot. It knocked a third off sales, and it's never come back in fifteen years. And in fact, Susie showed me an article two months ago in Town and Country that said that the title was "Is Cabernet Sauvignon the New Merlot?" Meaning Stop is it. is really? is Cab Sauv as uncool as Merlot is uncool, Ooh, and the whole article like was this. about you know New York Psalms, the hip edgy crowd kicking big Napa cabs off their wine list because you know they thought they're big fruit bombs and they were just you know sort of this anti Parker thing going on to to its extreme and back to what we were talking about mm-hmm. with tastemakers, um, you know it anyway it's a problem. Is it? Okay. Because I feel like it is and it isn't. And I'll say this because I get this like sort of from a creative standpoint, like, oh, you know, it's like when a, it's like when a, a musician gets known for, it's like with a big song. And they're like, I do sing other songs, but everybody wants to hear the main hit. You know what I mean? But there's people lined up outside and filling stadiums to hear you play your hits. Right. So I do think there is value in a region being known for something. I'm not saying you're not saying that, and no, I'm not. I, I agree with you on that. We, we, we shouldn't have one yet. Well, we listen. We're we're humans, and we want to simplify things as quickly as possible. I well, mean, if yeah, you meet, if you that. if you meet if you meet a stranger, in in five questions, you've put that that person in a box. You know, what do they do for a living? How old are they? Where do they live? You know, is this person useful to me? Are they asking me for something? I mean, you know, it, it's it's just human nature to try to categorize the world around you. And, and, you know, if all I can remember, you know, about Washington is Pinot, I mean, it, it's, well, okay, sure. I get it. But, you know, you, you don't want it to drown out some of their other super wines. I'm and, with and, you. I'm more, and I'm, we're, we're not, and, we're, and honestly, we're not disagreeing. We're not, I know we're not. And, and I think we're more like Washington state than Oregon. Cause okay. I feel like Oregon sort of the reputation is it's like the Burgundy of the U S you know, Chardonnay, in, in in Pinot Noir, right? You know, Pinot Gris as well, right? But Washington has Syrah, it has Merlot, it has sure. red blends, you know, it has Chardonnay, it has Riesling. So, but there are at least a few grapes that you instantly think about when you think about uh, Washington. And I know uh, um, Matthew used to make wine in Napa, and um, every once in a while, my wife and I will go out there and we'll you know team up with some of the you know, winers used to work at and, and we'll talk and we'll go to our other wineries. And every time I go in and I say, I work for another Virginia, I work for a Virginia winery. They go, Oh, I love Cab Franc from there. Right. And it's like, that's a grape we haven't even talked about yet. Well, I mean, and, 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 and it's a wine, it's a grape that actually our winemaker said is trending down. It's a grape that Frank Morgan says is trending up. <laughs> it's one of the, uh, and there's a recent article just about Cabernet Franc and, 
it's one of did, those grapes. Did you know there's not a book on Cab Franc? I do know that because and, I just met a gentleman who who's was, writing the uh, book. Who's writing the book? Who's writing the book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and um, do, do, I can't remember his name. Do, do, you can't either. But um, yeah, it, it's look. It is the first sort of vitis vinifera that Virginians got right. I mean, it put Virginia. It launched our industry. It 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 said to growers themselves, "Hey, this isn't a waste of time. You can make a really good." fancy European wine and then and then everything took off from there and then and then it was a bunch of trial and error I mean you have to imagine we have 3,500 acres 3,700 acres under vine I mean they're, they're they're probably single vineyards in California bigger than that yeah um I mean it's yeah it's it's you know we're just we're tiny you know we so we just got to keep plugging away and find find what we're good at we are tiny but we are we are tiny but we're in a big state um, there's a lot of room for additional plantings, but one of the things I feel like we are benefiting from, and I hope this is a really, I didn't go to broadcasting school, but I'm just let, about to let you know, I'm about to nail this transition right here. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I feel like we're benefiting from is the Southern food movement. Yes. And we are the most, uh, acclaimed wine region in the South mm-hmm. and the food that's being, you know, that is synonymous with the South is being sought out in major food markets around the world. Southern food is hot right now. Southern chefs are hot right now. And I feel like our wine and that food movement, there's a lot of opportunity there from a marketing perspective, but the relationship with food. Mm-hmm. And I think Virginia wine is so good with food. Yep. And you know, and that's like a broad term. Like this wine is good with food. Like, But food that's um, popular right now and also this demand this from the consumer standpoint for local food and local wine. And I feel like we're benefiting that because of the, the resurgence of the Southern food, food movement. And unlike the other wineries on the wine trail here, um, on the Virginia peninsula, you have a restaurant. Yep. We have one, you have one. So that's another similarity between us. Let's talk about how important food is to upper Shirley vineyards. What's your food philosophy and, um, the relationship between the wine and food at Upper Shirley? Well, um, I'm, I'm very fond of saying that, you know, the, there's a, a, a European saying that if you drink wine standing up, you should be the chef. And, and why do they say that? Because wine is food. Wine is, it's, it's meant to, it is food. It's meant to be paired with food. Um, you know, to, to serve wine without food is root. And, and, and then there you go. Um, Brought you a cheese plate, man. I know. I know. I'm going to get into that thing. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and I'm all about the, you know, we're asking people to uh, drink local. Um, we try to eat local, too. And, and we're trying to source as many local ingredients as we can. Uh, and we do Southern Fare. We're not reinventing the wheel. Hopefully, we execute it at a very high level. And if you look at people like Sean Brock, um, who resurrected some, some hundred-year-old recipes in the recognition that those people had to cook with what they had and, and it was probably pretty good. Let's see how this goes. Well, lo and behold, um, you know, McCready's a couple of husks later, uh, and, and, and about a bazillion TV shows, um, you know, the world agrees with them. Um, fresh and local has, has legs. And plus I think it resonates with customers that, you know, food doesn't come from a store and wine doesn't come from a bottle. Uh, it comes from somebody who grew it. And I think people like to have a connection with where their food comes from. And, and I get it all the time. People go, you know, where do these grapes come from? Well, they, we grew them right there. 
you know? Oh, wow, really? That's cool. And, you know, we have a hard time. At, at, we only serve lunch. We're not open for dinner. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So we, <laughs> we can't, you know, there are times of year, for example, we, we do shrimp and grits. Um, there are times of the year that we can get red grits from a local Charles City farmer, but that's not year round. And the rest of the year we have to, you know, fill in with, with stuff that wasn't grown here. Um, and that's just, that's just the way that goes. And um, we have, you know, local shrimp farmers that, that want to sell me 700 pounds of shrimp all on the day that they harvest it. And, and I, you know, I can't buy 700 pounds of shrimp in one day because I don't have any place to freeze it. Um, so there are challenges, but we try to do the best we can. Um, we're having a collaboration dinner um, on Monday with the Roosevelt, which is a restaurant in Richmond, um, who has a new executive chef, a guy named Matt Kerwin, who used to work uh, for us as a, as a, as a sous chef. Um, and Ernie Lebrecht, our chef de cuisine, th- those guys are teaming up to bring some classic Southern food with some very innovative twists. Um, we're all about that, and uh, we hope to do more of it. And for those that have not been there, you can go there with the intent of just tasting and quickly find yourself sitting on that beautiful patio with some pimento cheese and just an unbelievable food and wine experience. Yeah. It's we're, really, truly remarkable. We've declared war on your waistline and your liver. <laughs> I mean, you have to walk through the the, uh, the restaurant, right, to get to the tasting room. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's well done. And then while you're tasting... As, as Oscar Wilde said, I can resi- resist anything but temptation. See, and then you're at the tasting bar, and then you're overlooking the view and other people out there enjoying food on the patio. It's just a really, really well done planning in your architecture and design and flow. Well, thank you. Tip of the cap to you on that. So I want to bring back a common theme that sort of weaves its way through this podcast, which is, is why Virginia? And I want to, I want you to answer this question from the perspective that you have as being a member of the wine board. Uh, Where are you, what is your perspective on our industry? um, And and what do the next five years look like? Where, where do you, where do you see that we're headed? Where do you see the biggest area of opportunity? Um, And where are we coming short? falling short well you know we've we've got some uh we have some big challenges in front of us and the uh the first is just the profitability of the industry um it is a an extraordinarily tough industry to make money in and um you know as you know from growing grapes uh it's it's a great thing that we do have restaurants and private events because you you really need that um you need some different sources because we're passionate about grapes we're passionate about our wine um Something's got to pay for that. It's a and, business. And, that's and, that's and, not the and, sexy stuff that we talk about, but yeah, that's why I love this podcast because it allows us to get into that stuff because that's just the reality. Yeah, I mean, enthusiasm can only take you so far. Eventually, you're going to have to 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 make money at this, and and um, and your and my you know your customers, my customers, they want us to make money because they want us to stay there. Um, and I don't think we're gouging anybody. You know, we're just trying to get along. Um, the challenges are, you know, it's back to that tastemaker thing, and and. You know, in a world where people might be chasing the new next thing, maybe it's incumbent on us as a wine region to be the new next thing. There is no reason in the world that we couldn't be hip in on the West Coast or in New York. I mean, a lot of a lot of these consumers and 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 psalms they don't know Virginia wines, and I bet we could turn them on and show them what we're doing here, and we could get in that groove and we could expand our markets tremendously. You know, somebody long time ago told me the key to marketing is not to try to convince somebody an untrue story is true. It's to try to convince somebody a true story is true. 
That's where we are. We got the product. We got world-class wines now. Now we just got to get out and, and convince people what we know is true is true, you know? And I said cheers to that. I think you said something that was really profound is that you have to uh, show them. Yeah. It's all about... You can't just tell them. No, 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 no. We have to show them. Listen, I, so I, I just completed my, uh, my second marathon uh, Virginia Wine Board meeting, you know, sitting in a chair for 20 hours um, uh, approving requests. And, you know, every marketing expense, I, I'm of a mind, take the money, go get somebody who's influential in the wine industry, put them on an airplane, bring them down here, tour the wineries, let them taste, let them see the vineyards, let them let, hear the story. You will convert that person. They will go back to wherever they came from, whether it's the West Coast, Northeast. They are going to be a believer. Our hit ratio on making believers is almost 100%. I have yet to see somebody come down here and, and, and taste the wines and, and, and hear the story that isn't converted. No one has turned around and go, now you guys suck. I'm leaving. I mean, not no one. It's a hundred percent. So, spend the money. Get them down here, even if it's one person at a time. I'm all for it. We live in a show and tell world. We all. I mean, I have my two phones sitting out here. You know, we have. A, we live in a show and tell world, but everybody's telling, and not enough people are showing. Yeah. And I just feel like that is our ace. That's our card. Is this Virginia wine experience? The diversity of our terroir. The varying experiences that you can have us here on the Virginia Peninsula, you know, Charlottesville, Shenandoah Valley, Northern Virginia. There's just such an unbelievable experience here. And I do, th- I, I could not agree with you more on that point. I just, I agree. You bring people here. I remember when Oz Clark was down here tasting, you know, Steven Spurrier has been here a few times and they all leave just blown away. Yeah. Cause they didn't know. Yeah. And, 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 and these are real folks that people respect and, and there's only so much that you can tell it doesn't matter if, if I say I have good wine or you say you have good wine. The, the consumer needs somebody they respect who's objective to say, to say that. You need independent verification. You need to be uh, vindicated on, on your assertions. And, and, and that's what we need. And we need that as, an, as, as, as individual wineries, and we, we need that as an industry. We talked about Zachariah. Talked about Adagio winning the Governor's Cup. We talked about Zachariah getting a gold and then now being in the case. That's the flag bearer for the state of Virginia. Uh, but there there are some interesting things that happened this year with the Governor's Cup. Uh, Michael Shapps, who we've talked about a lot in this episode, uh, was recognized as making 10 gold medal. No, 22 he, he gold won, medal. Yeah, wins. he won 22 of the 68 golds, and he had five of the top 12. Right. So of the... 12 wines that made the case, five of them are recognized and are attributed to Michael Shapps, Virginia yes. Wine Works, yes. where the name of the winery comes secondary to the maker because the, com- the, the rules of the competition state that where the primary fermentation takes place uh, is what the wine is branded as. Right. So you grow your grapes. You do not have a wine cellar per se. Nope. The wine is made at Virginia Wine Works. Correct. So your wine was branded as... Virginia Wine Works. It, it was Upper it was, Shirley Vineyards. No, it was, yeah, it was listed as it was listed as Michael Shapps Wine Works, and and so so how is the the customer benefit by that? They can't go to Michael Shapps Wine Works and buy Upper Shirley Zachariah. In fact, uh, one notable customer, um, the Secretary of Agriculture, Bettina Ring, said, "Oh, I did that. I I walked in Wine Works and I asked for 
you know, three of these wines that, that Michael had made in the case. And, and they were told, well, you can't get any of them here. Well, if, if, if she can be misled and she's inside baseball, um, imagine, imagine that customer, that the same guy standing in the uh, 1500 Kroger uh, wine aisle. Um, you know, we need to do what is right for this industry. One of the reasons that the quality has grown is in, you know, 07, 08, they, they passed a, a contract winemaking law, a custom crush. That has been the, the law in California for over 100 years. California did $116 billion in top line last year. Um, if you overlaid the Virginia Governor's Cup rules on any wine region, California, Burgundy, Bordeaux, Piedmont, it, it, it doesn't stand to reason. It's not the way wine is made around the world. And so you, you have this growing industry that comes up with rules that are openly hostile to contract winemaking. And, and it defies logic. And, well, it doesn't defy logic. The, uh, uh, across all times and across all cultures, if you get two industry participants together, the first thing they do is try to keep others out, put up barriers to entry. When Boeing sat down with McDonnell Douglas, it was to keep Airbus out. And it's true in plumbing parts, and it's true in wine. I, I just don't want to see it happen in wine. I don't want to see vertically integrated producers try to keep out people that are contract winemaking like like they're cheating. It, you know, it, it, it's, it's, just, it's not good for Virginia wine. It's not a good way to grow the quality of this industry. So full disclosure, we've mentioned it before, but you are on the wine board yep. and I'm on the wineries, Virginia Wineries Association. So I'm, I'm the vice president of the organization that's responsible for that competition. For those rules, yeah. Right. Yep. So I guess it, both parties, I think, need to decide what's best for the industry and have that dialogue. I think communication is the, is key to a lot of things in life. Sure. And I think that's where it comes from. And I just feel like we have to get behind one thing and stick to it. There's just, I don't think you're going to make everybody happy. I mean, sorry. Sure. You are not going to make <laughs> no, everybody happy. Of course happy. not. Of course and not. I, in, what, in what law, what anything is that the case? Right. But it, it's what's best for the industry. And I think if I can, we look at look back on this five years from now, the, the benefit and I'm speaking about this from somebody who did not make the case. We got a gold, uh, but we did not make the case. And, I, you know, you, you had to have, you had to go through this. But I think we'll look back on this five years. I think this, the results of this competition, 22 of the 66, five of the 12, will bring this conversation to the forefront because I think it has to happen. The, the conversation has to happen. Well, I, I, I would say this, and, and, and uh, yeah. as, as, when Ronald Reagan was asked about his age, he said he wouldn't use his candidates uh, or his opponent's lack of experience against him. And, and so I'm going to pull the age card on you because um, I'm an old guy. When I grew up it's in the this, first time in the history of uh, Seller Sessions podcast, someone's uh, brought the age card. The age so card. So when, you know, when, I, when I grew up in this state, um, they were liberalizing banking laws. And if if you go to Charlotte, North Carolina, they have a skyline that, um, that should be in Richmond. Richmond has one of the nine Fed ba- branches. And Charlotte now has the s- second only banking assets to New York. That's that's how they've got like a trillion dollars in assets. And an NFL team. That's what they do on Sundays, right? Um, why is that not in Richmond? Because at the time, uh, a bunch of incumbents sat around Richmond and said, wow, we can't expose all community banks, all $2 billion in assets. So they'll get run roughshod. We need to protect them. Well, they did protect them. And so you fast forward 30 years, we still have the same $2 billion in assets, and, and folks in Charlotte are, are watching the Panthers, okay? 
it, it is it is obscene that protectionism let banking go to Charlotte, North Carolina, which and don't want to offend anybody from Charlotte, but you know it should have been Richmond, and Richmond wouldn't let them in, and I don't want to see that happen in in wine. Um, it, it shouldn't happen anywhere. Competition's healthy, and 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 there are some entrenched interests that that may feel challenged or harmed by by progress, um, but we got to let it go. We got to let it go. I say this to you on the eve of us releasing a new, not a new series of wine, but introducing three new wines into a series of wines that we call the Virginia Appalachian series, meaning the grapes do not grow here, but they grow in Virginia with partner growers is that but that would be okay absolutely in this competition right but you growing your own grapes but then being made elsewhere precludes you from being the winner well that well that's exactly right and i i said this before i represent the association but i represent the Williamsburg winery too so i understand both sides of it why why is one better than the other? I just think it's about the conversation. I, what I will agree with you on is it does seem internal. It, the it, justifying seems in, like for an internal purpose sure. rather than customer-centric. It, 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 it is a clear example of an industry talking to itself. And, and while we're arguing about whether contest entrance, where their primary fermentation takes place, um, the world is rocketing past us. You know, it, 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 nobody's standing around waiting for us to sort out where primary fermentation takes place. And by the way, I, has anyone ever asked you uh, at a wine tasting where primary fermentation, has anybody ever walked into a, a restaurant and asked a sommelier, oh, I'd like to order this wine on the list. Oh, oh, wait, primary fermentation did not take place on the site of the, of the permit holder. Yeah, not, I'm out. Never, ever has anyone ever asked me where primary fermentation happens, but they do ask where your grapes come from. Yeah. And, and I think- right. You know, like I said before, there are wineries that look at what we do and say, you make what you grow at your estate. Maybe you even feel that way. But we are committed at this winery to producing the finest wine that we can from our estate vineyards, as well as showcasing the diversity and world-class microclimates and grapes that exist in this state even if they can't grow here on our farm. Well, you're going to get me all wound up here. Let's go. Um, Here's the thing. The, the, the industry has, has, for 30 years, sold the Virginia wine consumer um, this mythology that if it's not a state-grown, somehow it's, it's vulgar, cheating, improper, um, whatever. That is not the way wine is made. I mean, the term negotiant, I mean, it's, it's not how wine is made. And, and I think they've been done a, a tremendous disservice. The goal is to grow grapes where they grow best, get it made by adults, and bring it to the table as high quality as you can. You know, it, it that's it. Plain and simple. Can we end on that? That's sure. literally it. Well, I, I if well, the the note I'd like to end on is is to say thank you for yeah. including me in your podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, and thank you for letting me ass up on, uh, on, on recording, man. This is awesome. I, I woke up at uh, four o'clock this morning and did a radio show in Richmond and I've been living off this excitement all day I've been thriving <laughs> off this excitement to have you here. So I appreciate you making the trip down. Susie, thank you for being here. Um, the mic's right there if you want to hop on. Okay. Uh, but no, sincerely from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you for uh, what you do for us, what you do for the industry and, uh, 
And we, we see what you're doing up there at Upper Shirley. Thanks for keeping the, the healthy competition alive, and thanks for uh, inspiring us and motivating us. All right. Thank you again. Cheers.